Hey, besties. It's Cam from the Internet. Welcome back to the first full-length episode of the podcast in which I'm going to talk about not the locked tomb because I'm saving that for when I don't feel like I'm losing my voice because it will be a 45-minute long symposium on the sixth house. But no, no. Rather, today I'm going to be talking about my Etsy shop because a surprising amount of people have asked me, hey, can you talk about Etsy? Can you talk about Kickstarter? Can you talk about how you somehow do all this stuff and why yes yes i can thank you so much for asking i don't know where the unhinged energies are coming from sorry i've had lots of coffee starbucks caramel macchiatos are just that's that's the way to my heart i'm sorry i don't make the rules i the problem is is that i record at my local library and there's a starbucks right down the street and so i can and will get an iced caramel macchiato either before or after recording because you can't actually bring like drinks without screw on caps into you know a recording studio with thousand dollars of equipment so here i am anyway i figured today we could talk about my etsy shop the kickstarters y'all have heard me talk about these before but i put together like a whole list and outline so if you've ever been like someone who thought about doing an etsy shop or thought about doing a kickstarter maybe this will help i'm gonna try to put together some you know actionable tips maybe or i don't know like i just talk and you guys hopefully can find some good use out of it so let's jump in. I'm going to start with the history of my Etsy shop. I started my Etsy shop in 2020. I was doing just stickers only, and the actual origin story is kind of funny. I did not come to Etsy with a strategy. If you've listened to the first episode of this podcast and heard about how I didn't come at TikTok with a strategy, you're probably seeing a theme. I just do things, and then sometimes they work out, and Etsy was one of those things. I started my Etsy shop in 2020 with a handful of locked tomb sticker designs because I made them for funsies and people on a Discord server that I was in for the Lock Tomb fans were like, hey, I'd buy those. And I said, okay, I'll make an Etsy shop. That way you can have tracked shipping for the stickers for cheap. Instead of, you know, paying three plus dollars for tracked shipping, I can buy tracked shipping through Etsy for the cost of a postage stamp. Everybody's happy. And then the shop blew up. People were sharing the link everywhere. People were, you know, posting it all over the place. I wasn't mad about it. I was just surprised. And so in 2020, in a teeny tiny little spare room in my parents' house where I lived at the time, I was trying to do my full-time job and also the Etsy stuff, which was really cool and fun. And I have absolutely no regrets. It was just kind of wild. And then from there, I branched out into patches, I branched out into pins, I branched out into notebooks and all these other things. I even did art prints one notable time when Nona the Ninth broke my brain so hard that I drew hands. I actually drew hands. If you are an artist, you know drawing hands is insanely difficult. Somehow I did it. It'll never happen again. But Nona the Ninth, just, it just got me that good, besties. It just got me that good. You probably already know this. So the evolution of Wayward's Paper Co., which is the name of my Etsy shop, was not well thought out at all. But I did notice a trend because the benefit of being me is that I work in content and marketing. That's like my day job. That's what I do. So if there's one thing I'm really good at, it's watching marketing trends and watching analytics. So when my Etsy shop analytics started to trend one specific way, I began to take notice. People really loved per reviews, emails I got, and post on social media and then my actual analytics, they loved the customizable pride stickers that I had that would eventually become pins. I noticed that the marketing trends were shifting wildly towards people really loving my customizable skull pride stickers, the ones with the aviator sunglasses that are whatever pride flag you want them to be. And I was wondering about that. And then I started getting messages from people going, hey, are you ever going to turn these into pins? And I was like, not really, because that's really expensive. And we'll talk about pin stuff a little bit later on. But so many people kept asking over and over and over again. And I was like, you know what? 
perhaps I could make this work because I knew that Kickstarters were a thing. I had backed a lot of pin Kickstarters in my day and I I knew that they were probably pretty labor intensive, but I had friends who had done it before. I have friends, they're a couple, they run a shop called Gay Breakfast. They make awesome, awesome pins and art prints and patches. You definitely should go check them out. I will link Gay Breakfast's social media in the whatever relevant episode description you have on whatever platform you're watching this. There will be a link. Go check out their shop. They're absolutely incredible. You're supporting a queer small business. It's great. Everybody wins. I was friends with them. I talked to them. They were sharing about their Kickstarter experience and they were sharing about their experience vending at fan conventions, which we will also talk about. And I was kind of like, yeah, okay, maybe I could make this work. Maybe I could make this happen. And I kind of thought about it and thought about it and ended up actually doing it. And that's when the Kickstarter was born. And we'll talk about Kickstarter in a little bit because I kind of imagined this episode would go like Etsy shop, Kickstarter, other stuff. But anyway... After I did the Kickstarter, which was successful, the Locktomb community really showed up and out for that, which was really awesome. I then started thinking about doing fan conventions. This was another thing that was inspired by a conversation with Gay Breakfast. They were kind of like, hey, we vend at cons. It does really well. I helped them out at a convention and I kept thinking that maybe I could pull it off. So I applied to a small local convention in my area in Southern Virginia. It's actually a pretty cool fan event, locally owned, homegrown you know, people show up with their kids and their grandkids and their grandparents and their parents. It's really awesome to be a participant in. And that was actually one of the first cons I ever did. A lot of people really vibed with the pride pins, which was a nice surprise. Living in Southern Virginia is very much a melting pot of conservative and liberal, Republican and Democrat, queer affirming and queer bashing. And you never kind of know what you're going to get. But at a convention, I figured it was pretty safe to tout my pride wares because usually people that go to cons are, are a little bit more accepting and progressive and whatnot. And, and it turned out to be not only a great seller, but a great conversation piece. People would come to me and ask me about the pins and find their pins uh, on the flag that they'd never seen before or find their pins that they'd never had the opportunity to hold in their hands before. And that was a really rewarding experience that made me realize two things. First of all, I have been and will always be a customer service girly at heart. You cannot beat the Starbucks barista or the Ann Taylor retail associate out of someone, apparently. But it also made me realize that I wanted to do more cons. So I did. I went to Fan Expo Dallas. I did Tidewater Comic Con, which is another local Comic Con. Local is relative to me. And then I'm doing more this year. I've applied to four. I got into two. We'll see about the other two. But that just kind of, again, rolled out really naturally because I hang out in fan spaces online. I might as well convert that to, you know, local or flying halfway across the country, rather, to do conventions. But again, cannot express how little I actually thought about this. Like, I just was like, hmm, this sounds like fun. The table cost isn't that high for my first local con in January of 2023. Might as well. And now here we are. Doing fan conventions was really helpful for a couple of reasons. It got the word out about my Etsy shop in ways it didn't before, and it also racked up enough overhead for me to actually build a website. As of this podcast's recording, I don't have a website yet, but I'm working on it, and I'm really excited about it. It'll be a nice, I think, offshoot of my Etsy shop. It will hopefully give people the ability to support me on a platform without all the fees that Etsy has, because, like, there's a lot of fees, besties. It's not great. But I think that it will also be really great to send to, like, conventions I'm applying to. Like, here's a portfolio of my work. That's not Etsy.com. Have fun with it. 
Now, Kickstarters. Let's talk about those. So Kickstarter was, what, like I said, one of the offshoots from my Etsy crimes because I wanted to fund my Etsy crimes. And to fund my Etsy crimes, I needed to do a Kickstarter. When I first decided to run my Lock Tomb Pride Pin Kickstarter, I did not expect it to get funded at all. I will admit to having gone into that entire experience with the lowest of low bars of expectations. I really had no expectations except that I was probably going to maybe get 50% funded, maybe, because I knew that while I had a very niche audience, audience of like locked tomb people, Kickstarter has the big barrier to entry, so to speak, of you're not getting something right away. And this isn't a slam on people. It's just this is what people are like. They want instant gratification. They want to know that they're going to get this thing right when they pay for it. And that was the thing that people loved about my Etsy shop. They would order something, I would ship it, they would get it. Kickstarter is a little longer of a wait time. And I also had no experience running one. It was my first ever Kickstarter historically, there are stats that I looked up and researched, and you can too, the first pin Kickstarter someone runs does not get fully funded. But I did it anyway, and I clearly remember launching the Kickstarter with little to no buzz generated, just a couple posts on Twitter and Tumblr about it. Like, how did Express, how, I didn't know where to put my effort, and I was, like, exhausted, so I didn't do a lot of effort. I figured building up hype was just going to kind of derail people from wanting to invest in the Kickstarter. I figured just put it out right away so they could at least take the immediate action of backing it right away. That makes sense, right? So I just made a post on Twitter, made a post on Tumblr, launched the Kickstarter in the airport, waiting for my flight from where I lived to visit my friends in the Midwest. I was going to meet up with some of my friends for the very first time and like just launched the Kickstarter, got on the plane, and that was about it. Again, did not expect it to get funded or anything. So imagine my shock with when within 48 hours, the entire Kickstarter was funded and we were working towards stretch goals. And I believe there's even pictures somewhere of me crouched on my friend's floor in Chicago on my laptop, on Photoshop, rapid fire making graphics to announce the new stretch goals and tiers and like little like thank you graphics for all of the unlocked tiers because they just kept coming. I actually think that the very first time I realized the Kickstarter was fully funded, we were in a Five Guys and I was introducing my friend from New Zealand to the concept of Cherry Dr. Pepper and I was like, oh wait, the Kickstarter is fully funded and did a double take at my phone. I was like, wait, what? And we kind of all toasted to that in the Five Guys in Chicago. But that was a really exciting moment because it was the first time I ever thought like, oh, this is an actual like business. This isn't like my little artsy side hustle. This is like, oh, I can actually like make a product and get it funded. People like me enough. They like what I do enough to make that happen, which was a really cool feeling and also really bizarre. And I next time I learned from my mistakes and I did not try to Photoshop things on the fly, I actually pre-planned this stuff. <laughs> that was back in 2022. I launched the Kickstarter. I did that whole thing. I, I shipped out stuff by the end of the year. And that was a really, really like could not have asked for a better Kickstarter experience. Like everything from order fulfillment to like every every single person filled out their surveys. This, you know the survey you get if you've backed a Kickstarter, you know, you get a survey saying, hey, here's you back to the Kickstarter based on the tier you pledged, whether it's for one pin, two, three, whatever, you know, go through and select your pins. And I heard from every single person that I'd ever talked to, all the articles I read about Kickstarters, they were all like, you know, oh, you're going to have to hound people like they're not going to get back to you. They're not going to like fill out the surveys. You're going to have to, you know 
go on and on and on, make sure they do it. Every single person filled out the survey on the first go. And I was so happy. And I was like, wow, I'm being so spoiled. Like everyone is just on the ball because Locktomb fans are just that great. But I did that Kickstarter and I brought those pins to conventions because I did the Kickstarter in 2022. My first con was January 2023. I had the backstock of those pins so I could try to profit off of the leftovers, you know. And again, they went over so well that I was like, okay, this is great. I can keep reordering them because the Kickstarter gave me the financial runway to fund those pins. And then the ongoing sales of the leftover pins funded enough of those pins repurchased to make them worth it. It was a really great like secular, cyclical, whatever that moment, cyclical moment. It was really nice. And then this year, 2023, I decided to do another one learning from my mistakes this time. And that again came about at conventions, both in Dallas, which was over the summer of 2023, and Tidewater Comic Con, which was in May of 2023. People came to my my booth, my table, whatever you call it, in the artist alley, and they kept saying two things, that they loved the Pride Skull pins, and a lot of them bought like a pin with the matching sticker. But the number one question was, hey, are you ever going to do the same thing with the possums? Because somewhere along the line, I think it was in 2022 or late 2021, I had designed Possum Pride stickers with the same sort of energy as the Skull stickers. Fully customizable. You could tell me whichever flag you wanted via Etsy and I would just make it and ship it to you. I brought those stickers to conventions and everyone loved them, but they saw the the Skull Pride stickers and the Skull Pride pins and were like, hey, you ever going to do the equivalency with the possums? And and I was like, I'd really like to do that. But again, it's really expensive. And, and then I was like, naturally, I could do another Kickstarter. So I generated some buzz for that via conventions. There was a little sign up sheet that I kept on my table that I would direct people to like, hey, put your email down if you want to get an email when you when my Kickstarter's live. And a surprising amount of people did jot down their emails. And I did actually pull statistics for those who like want to know. I do have stats of like, we'll go over that, but there'll be statistics if you like are curious about that sort of thing. Ew, I'm such a marketer. Ugh. Anyway, so that Kickstarter was not metrically like by if you looked at just the numbers, it was not going to be as successful as the Locktomb Pride Pin Kickstarter was like the Locktomb fandom is rabid. The screaming pride possums were cute and cool and a lot of people were so tickled by them, but they're just like it's not a niche audience, right? It's almost too broad. However, it was fully funded within the first week. We unlocked all the stretch goals. Metrically, it might not have done as well, but it was fully funded. And that's all that I care about at the end of the day is getting people these pins that they wanted. As of this recording, the pins are in production right now. I've seen photos. They look absolutely sick. I'm so excited. But again, the Kickstarter worked out really well because of all the other stuff that I had just been inadvertently doing. The Pride Skull Kickstarter also had the not disadvantage, but I wasn't on TikTok that much at the time. The possums, on the other hand, I was on TikTok. And I know that a huge bunch of the the pledges came from TikTok. So if you're listening to this and you came from TikTok, thanks for that, because that was probably super duper helpful in actually getting it funded. And I actually have statistics in the little note document that I told you all that I had. So if you're ever thinking about running a Kickstarter, the statistics are admittedly kind of bleak, but as someone who's done it and not trying to fundraise on a high scale, the, the stats were pretty darn good. And I'll like kind of go over that. But people were curious about Etsy and Kickstarter. So Etsy and Kickstarter, I will deliver. OK, this feels like a really decent place to kind of dovetail into why I think this stuff has worked out well, because I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh, I was so successful without acknowledging all of the factors that went into the success, especially since This is the truth, but I know that it sounds weird that, like, I did Etsy not expecting results like it was just for funsies because I was bored during the pandemic. 
obviously the first thing to acknowledge is that I do have privilege. I am a white AFAB person. Anytime I'm the face of my brand, there's always going to be that implicit bias toward white people that comes into play. And I want to acknowledge that. Like, I definitely, I am not under any illusion that my gender appearance whatever. Uh, And my race is irrelevant here because I'm sure that it isn't. There is also a certain level of privilege inherent with the fact that there are startup costs, albeit pretty minimally, associated with an Etsy shop. You have to pay fees to list your stuff, which we I don't like Etsy's fees, but you have to pay fee to list your stuff. You have to pay for startup costs, packaging materials, all that stuff. I did have money coming in because I was working full time at the time to fund what was then a hobby. And that, again, is a privilege that I, I definitely acknowledge. I will say that since its foundation, over the course of the time I've had my Etsy shop, I believe I founded it in, I'm going to say, I think it was May or July, somewhere around there, 2020. From that point on, there's only been two or three months where the shop has not been fully self-sustaining, meaning that all of the fees, all of the shipping, all of the stuff have been taken out of my Etsy funds on Etsy or have been automatically withdrawn from my business checking account. And it has not gone in the red. My business has only operated in the red for like two to three months over the course of its entire lifetime, which, again, is not something that like I take lightly. I think that it's done really well for a few reasons, which I will talk about now. The first reason I think my Etsy shop did really well is because of timing. This was not something I did intentionally, although it would have been really cool if I had, but I did not because I'm me and I just kind of full send things like this podcast. (laughs) But my Etsy shop was one of very few locked to Etsy shops out there. There weren't a lot. There are now as of this recording, but there weren't a lot back then. This was between Gideon the Ninth and Harrow the Ninth. So the fandom was relatively new, but super rabid for merch. And again, I came in at that perfect time, not on purpose, but I just wanted merch. I didn't see it, so I made it. It was a lot of sixth house stuff. I'm really predictable. Like, this is just what I'm like as a person. Sorry. But I made stuff that people wanted. I made stuff that people liked. I shared it in Discord servers where they were okay with me sharing shop links. And all of that bundled up together made it just the prime time for me to hit the market. I was one of the first people to hit the market with Locked Tomb stuff. I was one of the first people to hit the market with Locked Tomb themed enamel pins. And all of that together just led itself to really high profit margins. Additionally, I got really lucky. Finding enamel pin manufacturers is actually really, really hard if you want to do it right. And when I found a pin manufacturer that I liked, I stuck with them, but they were the first pin manufacturer that I ever worked with. And that was one of the things that I think worked in my favor because I wasn't spending a ton of money on different manufacturers and pin mold fees and all of that. The other thing I will say is with the Kickstarters, I learned from a few of my mistakes from Kickstarter 1 to Kickstarter 2 that saved me money. There were a lot of things I I learned to not shell out money for, a lot of extra backer kit features that I didn't need. Backer kit is, for those who don't know, a platform that a lot of Kickstarter runners use to manage things like surveys because the Kickstarter interface like isn't always exactly what they're looking for. The second Kickstarter that I ran also got featured as a project we love on Kickstarter, which was super cool. And I definitely had a moment of, is this real? Like, whoa. But that also was like a promotional feature that I didn't bank on, but it probably did bring in some some sales. And I'll do numbers at the end of this so people who don't want to hear it can skip it. But people who do want to hear it will like, you know, have that experience. But This is all over the place. I'm sorry. I outlined it and everything. And yet here we are. The other thing I think that was that was helpful in in my success is social media. I know that a lot of shops have had success on Instagram. I haven't. It's been TikTok and Twitter. 
I think, again, because the brand Wayward's Paper Company is less of a brand and more of a name. I'm the face of the brand. I'm the one talking about it on TikTok and Twitter. And because people like me, they like my stuff, which sounds really cocky, but it's the only way that I know to describe what I'm actually contending with. That sounds weird, too. I need a drink of water. Maybe that's my problem. Hold on. I do also want to touch on one other thing about kind of like fan content creation. This is something that I made some TikToks about. So if this sounds familiar because you came from my TikTok, this, this is why. But there is one other way that I lucked out supremely when it comes to making this stuff. And that would be the fact that the author of The Locked Tomb, Tamsin Muir, has released her IP. When Tamsin started writing Gideon the Ninth and started getting traction with Gideon the Ninth and started talking about it on Tumblr, she made a post on Tumblr saying that essentially anyone who wanted to do anything with her IP, with the locked tomb, could do it. If they wanted to make shirts, if they wanted to make stickers, patches, pins, whatever, they could do it. It was free real estate, to quote the meme. And because she released her IP publicly in that way, I was able to do whatever I wanted. I was able to make patches, pins, stickers, t-shirts, all the things that I make, and I didn't have to worry about getting in trouble. The same cannot be said for a lot of people that want to make fan content. Technically, without the IP release like what Tams and Mir did, the intellectual property is protected by copyright law. That's why Archive of Our Own exists as the entity that it does, and it's why it should be protected, is because Archive of Our Own ensures that anyone who writes fan content is legally protected. They can't get in trouble for copyright infringement because they're playing in the sandbox of someone else. They're not profiting off of it. It's just for fun. That's why AO3 says you can't put like a Ko-Fi link or something or a PayPal link or something like that in your description in your profile. You can't do it in the author's notes because then it's crossing the boundary of what's legal and what's not. So if you're on AO3 and you've done that, don't do that. Take the Ko-Fi link out because you could get AO3 in trouble and then we won't have fan fiction and that would be sad. But because Tamsin released her IP, I got really lucky. I was able to actually like do this stuff, right? I was able to actually log on, make Etsy merch and not have to worry about it getting taken down. A lot of people who want to make fan content don't have that luxury. And that's something to be brought into consideration when you're thinking about making fan merch is because just because I did it for the Lock Tomb doesn't mean you could quote-unquote get away with it elsewhere, which is actually really unfortunate. The last thing I guess I'll touch on before getting into stats and stuff is the convention piece of the Etsy shop thing. So I went to fan conventions and that was a decision that I don't regret, but it does come with things that I never would have thought about if I wasn't a member of Facebook groups. The first thing to think about if you're going to do conventions is the cost. You do have to pay for a table and be at least reasonably sure you're going to make it back. I personally was, but that doesn't mean everybody will be. So like, think about that. But I found the conventions mostly by just Googling like fan convention and then like my city or my area. I'm in a region where there's like three or four cities that put together are like called something. I'm trying not to dox myself, but it's not that hard to figure out where I live. So like whatever. But for my own peace of mind, I'm doing it this way, I guess. But yeah, I looked up conventions. I applied. I got in. I did the thing. My setup improved massively with every single try. The photos on Instagram that you can see of like my most recent one at Fan Expo Dallas was absolutely bonkers. I ended up getting a second table right next to me because that person never showed up and the convention organizers asked if I wanted it and I did. So I used it and that was really, really helpful for my sales. I'm never going to probably shell out for two tables because that would be nuts, but getting it for free was awesome, especially at a convention that I flew to. So I had to make back travel costs and flight costs and, and, and hotel costs and the table fee. And I still made like a four figure profit. It was absolutely insane. Again, not to brag. I just got really excited about that there for a second. But the convention thing is something that I definitely want to do again. I think that, again, it's a great way to like 
get people to buy my stuff <laughs> um, because they can pick it up and hold it in their hands and take it with them. I also just really like fan culture. I really love conventions. My very first fan convention was KatsuCon in Maryland in 2022, and it was so much fun to go and see cosplayers and see the artist alley. And that was part of what planted the seed, if I'm being honest, with like, oh, hey, I want to do this. I want to go to conventions. I want to do all this cool stuff. So, yeah, like if you go to a convention, go to the artist alley, buy cool stuff. You won't regret it. The other thing that was nuts about going to fan conventions is that people recognized me. There were people that would be like, coming around the corner and see my locked tomb stuff and go, oh my gosh, it's Cam from the internet. And I was really tickled that they recognized me, usually from TikTok, actually. One person at Fan Expo Dallas sent her brother, I believe, with a shopping list of like what she wanted him to pick up for, for her from me at my table. And that was absolutely bizarre. It was so cool and really flattering. Um, people from... The tiny local con that I did, my very first one in January, found me on Instagram and were like, wait, I've I've seen your face on TikTok. And that was really cool because I was a fandom kid growing up. Like, I've been on Tumblr since I was 12 years old, 13 years old. And the emphasis on fan culture bringing people together cannot be overstated in my life. My best friends are from the internet. My fan culture moments are all from the internet. And the fact that the internet could bring us together in the physical sphere, even if it was just like someone buying something from me at the Artist Alley, was a really, really neat experience. And I also think that because people got to touch and feel and handle my stuff, they were more inclined to, you know, sign up for my Kickstarter. Which, by the way, metrically, the people that signed up for the email list... 95% of the people that put their email down on my list ended up buying something from that Kickstarter, whether it was pledging something or buying something from the pre-order store. So that's also like a nice, helpful metric thing. Okay, so to wrap this up, let's talk a little bit about numbers. Not because I think numbers are the the all important, you know, only way to know if you're good at this because like numbers are stupid and I'm not a math person for a reason. But if you are someone like me who likes metrics and likes numbers, this is probably something that will help you. So for my my first Kickstarter, the Skull Pride Pins, I, I had 106 backers that brought in about $3,600. By contrast, with my second Pride Kickstarter, which is the Possums, I had 66 backers and I got about 2000 in pledges. Again, this is not to say that one was more or less successful than the other in my eyes because I didn't have a set backer number or any financial goal outside of like getting it fully funded. That was all that I cared about. The thing with pins that I think a a lot of people don't really know is that when you're trying to make enamel pins, it's a huge price investment upfront. You're not only paying for a minimum order quantity or MOQ, you're also paying for the molds themselves. And paying for the molds is a one-time expense, but it can get pretty expensive depending on who you work with. So for these possum pins especially, I was paying for multiple molds time and time over because, you know, every pride flag is different and has different molds that it would need. So that's why that cost was a bit higher. And I'm not even upset about the fact that I didn't get as many, you know, pledges or whatever as uh, the, the first one that I did because it got fully funded and I was able to afford to get all of those molds made, plus do all the shipping, plus get the pins, all that stuff. That's all I really care about at the end of the day. I will also, I guess, give you, I don't really know what's helpful in terms of Etsy insights because, like, I, I don't, I cannot express how little I actually look at my Etsy insights except to see if I should stop running ads. Um, But just in case that helps, I'm going to pull up like my all-time shop stats and just like tell you things about them. So my Etsy shop of all time, I've had 27.4k visits, almost 1,300 orders. Yeah, I have a 10.5% conversion rate, which actually industry-wise is pretty 
darn good. And my total revenue has been somewhere in the $22,000 range. Now, this is from 2020 to 2023. It's not exactly like it's not amazing probably by anyone else's metrics, but it is mine. I think that that's pretty darn cool. And I'm pretty proud and honored. For whatever this is worth, and I bring this up too in case anyone listening to this wants to start an Etsy shop and is wondering about like the ads and stuff, Etsy brought in 59% of my visits and I brought in 41% of visits of all time. And what that means is that the Etsy app and other Etsy pages brought in about 11.2k views. This is what I'm when I'm saying that I'm saying that people searched on Etsy, went to Etsy.com and was like, I want to find you know, lock tomb patches, lock tomb pins, and they type that in and they find my product listing. I brought in a lot of direct traffic through sharing my link on TikTok, on Instagram, through Discord. That's a lot of what I brought in. So those two combined are the biggest sources of my traffic. So if you're wanting to invest in Etsy search, you can. They do run ads for you and you can set like a budget. I have a dollar a day, I think. But it's one of the things you should try before you buy. You know, like do it off and on and see what works and what doesn't but don't think you have to spend like an insane amount of money on it because I didn't and like clearly it's okay but again I cannot stress enough how much this is just like a side thing for me I mostly do it for fun I mostly do it because I love making lock to merch for other people and if you apply that pressure to it I would just not have fun so there is like that level of my privilege inherent in it so the future let's what's the future for my Etsy this is something that admittedly I do think about a lot I think that it's it's Honestly, it's something I've been waiting to think about till after Electo the Ninth comes out. <laughs> I am going to keep making Lock Tomb stuff for as long as people buy it. I, I have back stock of a lot of stuff. I think that as the books continue to be popular and as people continue to discover the story, there's always going to be that desire to engage with the story. And I definitely don't want to take my stuff off the market before the market tells me it's done. Whether that's in a year or five years, I'm I'm going to keep doing it. I am going to keep making other queer unhinged stuff like the possum pins. I don't know if that's ever going to overtake my lock tomb stuff in terms of like what people like and want to buy. But it is something that I have thought about doing more of if I ever have the spoons to draw again. I want to keep making fan merch, but it's exhausting to try to think about skirting around IP stuff. Tamsin released her IP and I got lucky with that. I don't know if I'll ever get that lucky again. I don't know if I want to get that lucky again. As far as I'm concerned, if all I do is ride the Etsy train until the locked tomb ceases to exist as like a thing that people care about, I'm fine with that. I primarily do this because it's fun. And I also do it because it gets me into conventions. I love doing cons. I wish I could do more cons. At the end of the day, Etsy was a really insane thing that I started doing, and I had no idea that it was going to turn out this way. I am not upset at all. I am so grateful and honored and delighted that my crazy little designs can bring people together. It was not expected, and it was a wonderful surprise. And I'm very, very lucky. So if you've ever purchased anything from my shop, if you've ever taken the time to browse or shared a video on social media or bought something for a friend. All of that is incredibly cool. And I'm really, really honored that you chose to do that. So thank you for your support. I know it sounds cheesy and every creator does it, but I mean it. And it, it really does mean a lot that you're willing to do that. So thank you. And thank you also for tuning into the podcast. I think that's about it that I wanted to cover in this podcast, at least according to like my my notes. As always, if you have questions or thoughts, there will be videos about this on TikTok you can comment on. But until next week, 
make good choices. Don't do anything I wouldn't do. And thanks for hanging out with me, besties. Bye.